This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Scott Bertrand, and with me is State Representative Andrew Fink, 58th District Branch in Hillsdale Counties. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Scott. We've discussed this a few times in our recent discussions, but I think uh, in the past two weeks you've made it officially official, which is you're running for re-election, but it is in a different numbered district than the 58th. So give us the number, give us the area, why are you running for re-election? Yeah, the new number is 35, and uh, I think you you had some uh, White Sox player that you associated with 35. Yeah, he's a pretty good guy, pretty good player. Oh, Frank, Frank Thomas? Frank yeah. Thomas, yeah, That's he's right. not bad, yeah. not bad. First ballot Hall of Famer, he's okay. For the Tigers fans out there, you can remember it by Justin Verlander. <laughs> it's the same area, Scott, which is great for me. I mean, I think, I think we did talk about that in the context of some of the redistricting stuff, which is as as many things have been criticized in that process for my own district, I can't complain because it's the same district, except it would add the city of Hudson. Mm-hmm. So uh, Branch County, Hillsdale County, and the city of Hudson on the other side of 127 in Lenoway County. Yeah, I'm running for re-election. I, I think that it's uh, many of the of the reasons that I'm running for re-election are the same reasons I ran, except I've got a little more uh, experience under my belt, some momentum working on some of those things. I mean, the... the the short answer to why why I ran in the first place is that the five kids I'm raising, the kids that all my friends are raising, uh, deserve to grow up in a country and, and sort of inherit a country from us that's recognizable, uh, improved, of course, but recognizable uh, f- from a constitutional perspective to uh, the founders, to the folks who fought and won the Civil War, passed the Civil Rights Amendments of the uh, 1860s, you know, chopped down all the trees out here and gave us the incredible farmland and industrial heritage that we have in Michigan, you know, continuing that sort of tradition instead of throwing it all to the side, which is, I think, what the left wants to do these days. So that's that's kind of what I'm working on. You know, I'm really proud of the, of the work that uh, we've put in so far in the, I mean, I've only been there for 15 months, but, <laughs> you know, uh, introducing legislation uh, to prevent abortions for the reason of disability, sex, or race, uh, passing out of the House last week. Maybe we're going to talk about this um, legislation to prevent the governor from using emergency powers to curtail firearms rights. Uh, passing a, a lot of, I think, really valuable election reforms, uh, which would have been valuable already, but uh, are on a lot of our voters' minds these days. So um, the, the work that we've we've put in so far, I think, is a great start on, on the MAC. I mean, I, we're still term, term limited to only six years. So, you know, having gotten through whatever it be, maybe uh, 15% or something or a little less than that of, uh, of the total time I might be there. Actually, I guess it's more than that. I don't 18% or, or 20%. Um, you weren't, you weren't elected for your maths. No, Just no, I was not. That's right. Yeah. As long as things balance out, that's kind of the, <laughs> the, the most extreme math we're asked to do. But but uh, kind of continuing that work is is uh, would be an honor, and I'm I'm hopeful that the the voters will return me there to do it. We'll have plenty of time leading up to the election to discuss more in depth. But I guess what I ask is, it's been an unusual 15, 16 months. This is not like um, you know a normal sort of two year period in the House. Do, do you feel like you've grown accustomed to the ins and outs, the patterns of what's happening in Lansing? Yeah, I mean, it, so this is like. Um, this is my second, for instance, budget cycle. So having, you know, hearing presentations on the governor's executive recommendations, hearing presentations from the departments, looking at it with my colleagues on the appropriations subcommittees, I feel, uh, I feel 
much more adept. Yeah. That, you know, looking at things, say the second time than I did the first time. Not that the first time I kind of realized that, you know, it's like, it seemed like it was all making sense to me a year ago. And I, and I do think it's making more sense now. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that having gone through some of these things once before, uh, it's already kind of even easier, but to be honest, you don't really have time, uh, to, to settle in. I mean, will you turn over, you know, I suppose on average more than a third of the legislature every election cycle. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you kind of have to, to fit in right away. And in my case, I think I, I think I did. Um, and you know, pretty quickly sort of felt like I, I had a voice to share with my caucus to share with the, uh, with the rest of the chamber. And, uh, it didn't take very long, but, but certainly like as time goes on, I mean, Jace Bolger who was the speaker of the house, uh, uh, from 2010 to 2014, uh, said, last week when he was talking about the term limits reform proposal that he's a part of maybe the week before, uh, you know, he, he felt like he was still learning when he was termed out and he had been the speaker for two terms. So it certainly, I mean, I, it, of course you should be learning the whole time, but, uh, but you, you don't have a whole lot of time to, to wait once you get there now. Let me ask about the term limit proposal just very quickly. That we, we talked with State Senator Mike Shirky about this in the past, and he said uh, he sort of apologized and said, I, I thought one thing, and I've kind of changed my mind. I'm not so sure it's a great idea anymore. Uh, term limits, you know, generally. Oh, okay. yeah. uh, this is an uh, opportunity to extend the amount of time lawmakers could spend in Lansing and also allow them to spend more time in one chamber, one particular chamber. They could take 12 years and do it all in the House or all in the Senate or yeah. do a, some sort of combination. And this is another one of the petition drives across the state. So what's happening with the, with this? Uh, and there's also some transparency attached to this too, right? Yeah. So the 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 pitch, as I understand it, is uh, is that in connection with a financial disclosure by legislators that would, I think, mirror uh, or very closely mirror the congressional disclosures uh, that that United States congressmen and, and senators have to have to provide uh in connection with that they would reform the term limits that we currently have uh from six years in the house and eight years in the senate to 12 years total regardless of what chamber you're serving in uh so it would shorten the overall length of time that a single politician could could be elected in lansing but but lengthen the time that you could serve in either chamber so i i guess it's whether it lengthens the time i mean you could kind of describe it either way uh, there's, it's certainly true that many senators, um, well, in fact, I think there is only one Republican senator right now who did not previously serve in the House. <laughs> so most senators are, are likely to serve, as under our current setup, most senators seem likely to serve for at least the, the length of you know, two terms in the Senate plus mm-hmm. one to three terms in the House. Um, so it, it might be true that if you become a senator, you're, you're likely that you're going to get to the 12 years that this thing would let you be at anyway. Um, but many house members obviously get, get turned out more, more quickly than that. So it would, it would potentially lengthen the time that those people could stay in the house of representatives. So I, th- I think that's kind of the pitch is that it's, it's a reform. It's not exactly lengthening things. It's not exactly shortening things. It's kind of a little more complicated than that. Then again, in, in a sense, I suppose it's a little, it's a little more simple, uh, too. I mean, you don't have to kind of balance the two chambers thing. You just, yeah. it's 12 years in the legislature, then you're out. State Representative Andrew Fink with us from the 58th District here, Branch and Hillsdale Counties. I've uh, been talking about the, the gas tax and gas prices here in Hillsdale. Again, we've gone from 
319 to 425, 399 today as we speak. Uh, the governor had signed a letter asking the federal government to suspend its gas tax, and uh, Republican lawmakers said, well, why don't we just do it uh, here in Michigan, do it ourselves, which actually would be a bigger savings for drivers because the state gas tax is higher than the federal gas tax. It seems as if the governor is not uh, interested in using her power to suspend the state gas tax, though. Yeah, it does seem to me a little bit uh, a little bit more appropriate for us to be focusing on the thing that we actually control, especially given that, I mean, if the, so if the federal government were to cease collecting its gas, gas tax, uh, it would, it would obviously have an effect on federal revenues. But if we stop collecting our state gas tax, uh, we have money, much of it from the federal government right mm-hmm. now, uh, which allows us to really not sweat the, roughly $750 million that would not be collected for six months if, if we did suspend the gas tax for six months. So it seems to me like it makes more sense for us to just attack the problem that's actually in our control. It's also a little bit of a larger tax, um, about 27 cents a gallon, uh, the state gas tax. That's like nine cents more than the uh, federal gas tax. If you add them up, by the way, you get 45 cents a gallon. <laughs> that number uh, rings any bells to you. Maybe it it, it w- this would be an opportunity to reduce our gas tax if the if the feds and the state were to to declare a holiday on them, uh, reduce our gas tax by forty five cents, which would be a nice alternative to proposals to raise the gas tax by forty five cents from a year or two ago. There's a concern, I imagine, on the governor's part that if we look forward into the future, six months, that's uh, October ish, which is right around election day. And she'll be looking for a, another term in office, and then you have you'd have essentially an automatic gas tax increase, getting back to the previous levels that she might be blamed for politically. I think, uh, from her perspective, it might be a losing type of situation. If she wanted to propose that we do it for nine months right. now, I would listen. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe that's what's on her mind. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. I mean, I think she ha- I think she has suggested she's going to veto it uh, if it gets through the the Senate this week. Um, Again, it makes a lot of sense to me that it uh, it's in our control and we we have a way to pay for it. I mean, as of as of last week, we had four billion unappropriated dollars. So if the projected hit here to the state, uh, you know, state incomes is is about three quarters of a billion, we should be able to figure out a way to to maintain our road funding without without collecting this tax for six months. Um, you know, obviously extending it would would increase that amount of money, but it wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be impossible given mm-hmm. the amount that is unappropriated. So I, I think we could have, we could have a, a conversation about it if the governor was interested. We'll see. Uh, recently passing through the house, one of your bills, you alluded to this earlier on, on guns, a bill that would bar the governor from, uh, from closing gun stores and ammunition stores, um, in, in, in times of emergency, like we just went through the emergency orders for the past two years or so. Uh, this one will what head over to the Senate for consideration at this point. Uh, yes, um, my suspicion is it'll be read in today and uh, and referred to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, so we'll we'll say. Well, actually, you know, on the House side, it came through oversight, and and that actually is is worth kind of pausing on for a second. So we'll we'll see where it goes, uh, and we'll and we'll we'll work through whatever committee it it winds up in. You know, the, the thing that I think makes it kind of interesting is, um, I mean, there, there are kind of two things going on. First, yeah, it's a, it's a firearms rights uh, piece of legislation. And it had a companion piece uh, as well uh, because it's also an emergency powers mm-hmm. uh, 
reform. So uh, you, you, you could look at these two things. I mean, they happen to be united in this effort. You know, it happens to be that my bill would amend the Emergency Management Act, the companion piece introduced by my, uh, my colleague, Representative Altman, uh, would amend the uh, public health code to prevent the administration from using public health orders or emergency orders to uh, restrict firearms, sales, use, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it could be another right. I mean, so when you're right. just looking at it right. on the emergency power side, I mean, it happens to be that this was a problem that was presented in 2020, 2021, where this constitutionally protected category of rights was not was not carved out the same way other things were. And I just think if you're if you're making exceptions for uh, for activity allowed under emergency emergency orders, you should accept constitutionally protected activity. Um, maybe you have to, but even if you didn't have to, it would still be a better way to organize your your government uh, to to pay respect to those rights and not favor and disfavor some constitutional rights uh, over or against others. So that's that's kind of the 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 constitutional or organizational side of it. On the other hand, you know, in emergencies, it's certainly not obvious that uh, that you need to safeguard. Uh, Second Amendment rights uh, less when there's something constituting an emergency enough for the governor to use the Emergency Management Act or public health orders to you know, prohibit gatherings or what have you. Uh, you can certainly imagine many kinds of emergencies where the, uh, the armed citizen is a part of the solution to the problem, right? So um, it's, it, it's the the language of the, of the Michigan state constitution on this, I think, is that is that every citizen has a right to keep and bear arms. Every, in fact, I think it says every person has a right to keep and bear arms for the protection of himself and of the state. Uh, forgetting that the the citizen is kind of part of the solution to the problem, including in this area, is is I think that's the the common thread that that we've seen in the last couple of years, and the way in which that it happens again, it happens to be firearms rights in this case, but it could be something else another time. It could mm-hmm. be some other kind of emergency. It could be it doesn't have to be a uh, uh, virus. It doesn't have to be firearms rights. It could be something else, but kind of holding the government to uh, respecting the citizens, even in times of distress, is the, the overall point. State Representative Andrew Fink with us from the 58th District here, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Uh, there is another uh, bill working on in, in the House. Uh, we, we hear often about these petition drives that are being launched across the state trying to grab signatures to perhaps get something on the ballot. This would, among other things, provide for regular updates. So if you hear about something, you can go back and see the status of these petition drives. What else would this do? Well, if we're talking about the same bill, there's House Bill 5252, which was introduced by Representative Slaw. Is that the bill you're looking at? Yeah. Yeah. So the the it's sort of a transparency about the status of... of um, of, of these things so that the, the summary would be posted on the secretary of state's website at least once every 30 days after the date the petition was filed the secretary of state shall post on the department of state's website an update on the status of that petition representative slaw also introduced um, uh, legislation and i to be honest I, off the top of my head i don't remember what the status of this one is but that would require i think it's been passed and vetoed but it re- would require um, the board of canvassers to process submitted petitions in a certain period of time mm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive that one's already been vetoed. So it's just it's a matter of, of providing you know the information that the public needs on the status of these things with some regularity. It would be nice if we didn't have to put it into statute, but it hasn't been 
it hasn't been that reliable for the last uh, few cycles where uh, the status of a particular petition is not it's not really easily ascertainable. You know, you don't know how many petitions are on or how many petitions are, are signed or mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And then you don't know how long something's going to take to get processed. So it's, I think it's, it's an effort uh, and it's very consistent with Representative Slaw's kind of uh, uh, his previous one to kind of just be clear about what the expectations on the department will be when citizens are trying to get one of these things put together. And then I know that your office is also encouraging local businesses to apply for uh, relief. There are some bills that have been passed in the state to provide some relief for, for local businesses. What does that entail? Who's eligible? How do they go about doing things like that? So the, the uh, yeah, I don't, I didn't bring any of the, the minute details on that with me, Scott. So I, um, I would encourage folks to, uh, if you, if they go to my website, repfink.com, um, they can get some of that from the, the release that we, that we put out. The, the overall point though, is that if you're a business that was negatively affected by the government's orders in the last couple of years, you should be eligible for some relief. Um, there are other other ways in which businesses obviously got relief, but uh, th- this package is aimed at folks who um, uh, had license fees that they, you know they basically had to pay for a license that they couldn't use that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, over the course of a year. So uh, not everybody fits into it, but the the overall point is if the government harmed you know if you go, if the government's decisions harmed your bottom line uh, because of of pandemic orders there should be some relief coming back at you from the state who imposed that harm on you in the first place. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the overall point. And, uh, and again, the details, if, if anyone needs help figuring out if they, if they qualify, they can contact us. The easiest way is to go to repfink.com. Repfink.com is also the easiest way to get a hold of you or the office if people need help with anything inside the district and branch in Hillsdale counties. That's right. State representative Andrew Fink from the 58th, uh, but soon running in the new 35th district here in Michigan. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott. More of our interviews and conversations on our SoundCloud page, go to soundcloud.com, search for WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. And I'm Scott Bertram on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.